0: So I know that that some people here are definitely not football fans, but uh, just bear with me for sake of illustration here for a second. Uh, Imagine Tom Brady. I I think most of you know that name, Tom Brady. Imagine Tom Brady's just finished the final practice before the Super Bowl. Now, if you follow football, probably not going to happen this year, but just for sake of illustration, imagine it, all right? So he's just finished up the final practice before the Super Bowl. He goes out to meet the reporters and they begin to just sing his praise, tell him, Tom, you're the greatest of all time. You're just, you're just amazing. How do you do it? 45 years old. How do you just keep bringing your teams back to the Super Bowl, put up the numbers that you do? You're just just an amazing, amazing guy. And they just sing his praises. And when they're finished, he turns around, he walks back into the locker room, and he notices that the person who normally picks up the dirty clothes from the practice, that he's nowhere to be seen. The guys are all redressed, and their practice uniforms are just laying there on the, the ground. And so what he does, he decides just to go over, and he begins to kneel down and pick up everybody's dirty practice uniforms. And he gathers them up into his arms. One after one, he gathers these uniforms up, and they're right up in his face. And he's, he's got them all there, dirty, nasty uniforms. And he takes them to the laundry area, and he does the laundry for his teammates. All right. So I know that's just impossible to imagine, okay? it's, it's just It would not happen, all right? The guy's a multi-millionaire. He's incredible, you know, this football player. He's not going to do that. Yet we can read a passage like ours today, and honestly, because we've heard it so many times, that we're not that shocked that what happens in this passage, that what Jesus does. And it's a billion times more dramatic than Tom Brady reaching down and picking up dirty laundry This is much more incredible. And in fact, in verse 3 of our text today, we're going to see that Jesus, he knew that he had come from the Father, that all things had been given into his hands, yet he reaches down and begins to serve and minister in a very disgusting, nasty way. So as we look at, back in the Gospel of John chapter 13, we're going to be in verses 1-11, through Just try to imagine and put yourself into this situation, and maybe the Tom Brady illustration will help you. So let's pray, and we'll look at verses 1 through 11. Father God, we thank you so much for your word that not only gives us the truth that we need desperately, but God, it helps us to examine our lives and see if we measure up to the truth. And we thank you that in Jesus, and even in the illustration that we see today, that based on our own works, our own efforts, we would never, ever measure up. And it's through what you did, Jesus, by taking on the form of a servant, becoming in the likeness of man, and humbled yourself, become, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And God, we thank you for the truth of the gospel. And God, make it real into our lives. We've heard it so many times, God. We need a fresh just, just wind of your spirit just to remind us of the truth of this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's pick up in verse 1. John writes, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were with him in the world, he loved them to the end. So in chapters 13 through 17, the next uh, four or five chapters, we're going to see Jesus really focus in on his disciples, on his 12 disciples. We're going to see that the crowds now, have kind of faded into the background. The crowds who are fickle, who sang his praise, who told Jesus, you know, they'll, they'll follow him, they'll do the things he's asked, we'll see they've kind of shifted and moved and most of the people are not going to stick with him. So his public ministry is over. And so he's going to focus in on his disciples. And we've looked over the last few weeks how that Jesus's ministry has been threatened by the religious leaders. They've gotten to the point where they're so angry and they're so um, upset with how Jesus has proclaimed himself to be equal with God and to be one with God that they're going to kill him the plan is in place and so Jesus knowing this is the case in Jerusalem and understanding fully obviously what is to come and understanding that 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 his disciples, and he could not be in public at this point. He sends his disciples off, two of his disciples. Luke tells us that he sends Peter and John into the city to meet with an unnamed person who direct them to a private room where they will be able to eat the Passover meal. So this would be, now this is disputed, the timetable, but uh, I, I believe this would be Thursday evening after sundown. So we know Jesus is crucified on Friday, so this is Thursday evening, the day before the crucifixion. And all throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus has constantly indicated that his hour had not yet come. The hour predetermined by the Father had not yet arrived. Well, now we see the cross is one day away, and Jesus is fully aware of that. Verse 1 again, Jesus knew that the hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. And so Jesus and his love for his disciples is going to be demonstrated in this chapter. So the disciples stuck with him. He's focused in on the 12. Having loved, verse 1 again, look, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. Now, Jesus loved the world. God loved the world in order to draw people out of the world and make them his own people. Jesus drew them out, and these are his people. We who have put our faith in Christ, we're his people. We're a new people, a special people, who can never be separated from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. That's pretty good news, right? That nothing can separate us from the love of God. We are his people and, and I think the statement verse, in verse 1 reveals to us really the nature of God toward his people. Because there's a lot of different opinions about oftentimes we in our own minds and then what other people will tell us about, is God happy with me? Does God love me? Does he receive me? And these constant conversations we can have in our head or based on how other people treat us, we can become wishy-washy. And does God, do you really, would you allow this to happen? Or would this be happening in my life if you really love me? And this verse tells us the nature and character of God, having loved his own, all right? Get the picture there. He loves his people. He loves his own, and he tells us, John says that he loves his own till the end, meaning to the cross. So he chose them at the beginning, and he's going to love them through till the end. And they may not feel like they're being loved when Jesus is taken away and being crucified. But John wants to make it clear that Jesus' love persevered and and stayed, and he continued to love them, and they'll know more about how that really to experience that and what that means here in a few days. And then verse 2, John shows us a contrast between Jesus and Judas. Look at verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already Put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Let's hold there before we go to verse 3. So the devil had put it into his heart. So see the contrast here? Jesus loves his own. Jesus is committed to his own. Judas he's only committed to himself. He's only committed to what he wants. Jesus is a giver. We're going to see in this chapter he's a giver. Judas is a taker. Jesus was a servant Judas was completely selfish. And when we get down to verse 27, probably in a couple of weeks, we're going to really look more and explore more into this idea of Satan, spiritual warfare, and really what was going on because it's easy to look at this verse and be like, well, Judas was like a victim. Like he just, the devil did this to him, right? And it's easy to say the devil; it was the devil's fault. But Judas has to own his responsibility in what he did. And so the Father had given all things into Jesus' hands. So this high picture of Jesus and, and his father. Jesus, all things are in your hands. I've given you all things. And what does he do with his hands? He begins to wash feet. And let me remind you, not just the 11, but also Judas. He washes Judas's feet as well. Look at verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands, and that he was going back Had come from God and he was going back to God, what did he do? He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus, fully aware of his authority, his divine origin, And he's aware of everything that will happen to him. And Jesus is not above the moment at all. We've learned from a few weeks ago that Jesus was greatly troubled over what was to come. That God's wrath would be poured out upon him. And that he would be temporarily separated from the Father in some way that we can't understand. And and Jesus was troubled. He experienced anxiety over this issue that that he would be forsaken momentarily by the Father. He would be betrayed by Judas, the very one who he's bending down, washing his feet. And the rest of the disciples, he's well aware, they're going to run, they're going to flee, they're going to abandon him. That he would be mocked, ridiculed, tormented, beaten beyond recognition, And he would die by execution in a manner that the Romans had invented that was especially painful for a reason. To make an example out of that person that's on the cross because we don't want anybody else following what they did. You want to have an insurrection against our government? Here's what happens to you. He was put upon the cross. And he knows all of this is bound to happen in a few short hours. And what does he do? He bends down and he washes feet at the time of Jesus, foot washing was an expected part of hospitality. But if you remember, like I said earlier, they were in a rented room. There would not have been the servant there who would have been part of the entourage who would have been there to wash the feet. There was nobody there to do that. Feet were nasty and dirty from walking around all day in the sand and the dirt. Also, that during this time, people would recline at the mills. All right, so it would be real pleasant to have somebody's feet near your face, right? And so it was only customary that the feet washing would definitely take place, and this would always take place by not just a servant or a slave, but the lowest servant, the most junior servant, the most junior slave would be the one that did that. So we would think, right, that one of the other guys would step up to the plate. They see Jesus get up and start to tie a towel, they'd be like, Jesus sit down. We got this covered. I think I think they're in for sh- they're just shocked. They're just unsure what's going on here and why Jesus would be doing this. And I know that we give the disciples a hard time a lot because they don't get it. But sorry, they don't get it, all right? Jesus has told them again and again, the greatest is the least you got to serve. In fact, just a few verses earlier in chapter 12, he told them, anyone who serves me, he will follow me, and where I am, there my servants will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So constantly, Jesus preached this idea of being a servant, but they weren't listening. They weren't listening. So before you give them a hard time in your mind and wonder why they're not listening, We have to ask ourselves the question, how much are we honestly listening? Like, we're not the greatest servants around, probably, are we? Oftentimes it's out of begrudging and and complaining that we do things. And and the things that we hear, why don't we apply those things? We hear truth again and again and again. We're slow. We're hard-headed. Why are we like that? Why don't we get it for the same reason the disciples didn't get it? Sometimes we just get our minds stuck on this is the way it should be, and we know that so much of our actions and our attitudes are a result of our family history and the way we grew up. And so if you grew up in a family that didn't serve each other or didn't serve the church, you're probably going to fall naturally in line with that, that it's all about you, and it's about what people should do for you, and church is pretty much about coming and being entertained, and you go out of here and you complain if somebody doesn't meet your needs the way that they should be met. Jesus shows us, and we'll talk a lot more about this next week, Jesus shows us, hey, if you're going to follow me, you better serve like me. So how do we stop from being so hard-headed and slow in learning? Well, How do we take and apply the things that we here and make it part of our life. Let me, let me just give you a, a few practical things. Develop habits of obedience, okay? Develop habits of obedience, plain and simple. We talk about this a great deal. Habits can be horrible things, all right? Think about in your own mind. Think about some bad habits you've had in your life. Those are really, really tough things to, 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 to put aside and deal with. But you know what? You have some really good habits in your life that work well for you and actually maybe even save you, right? I have a habit. If I'm pulling out of an intersection and I've preached this to my kids over and over again, look one extra time back, all right? One more time. So it's a habit now. I just, I look back. It saves me from accidents right here in this parking lot. It saved me from two pulling out onto Alice Street, two accidents over the last couple of years just because I had a habit of looking back. Habits can work to your favor. They can be really, really good things if you begin to develop those. And the habit of reading your Bible first thing in the morning sets the tone for your entire day, meeting with your creator God, having a relationship with Jesus sets the tone. And I hope you will develop that habit. I hope if you have that habit you'll stick with it and not let it fall away and just get rusty and old, that you'll stay fresh in that. The second thing is, trust that God is working. Often in ways that you just don't understand. If you're a believer, if your faith is in Jesus, God promises us that he's working. And he's working for our good and for his glory. And we say that all the time, but we have to believe that it's true. So no matter what adversity and struggle and difficulty and failure you're going through right now, if you're one of God's kids, God is working that for your good and his glory. And then remind yourself often, he's going to complete what he started. I'm confident of this. I'm I'm exceptionally confident in this, I'm totally confident that he's going to complete. Why? Because Paul tells us in Philippians 1.6, he says, being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will complete it on that day. He's going to finish what he started in you. And so you trust, you put your, your confidence, you, you just lower your anchor into truth of God's word. Every day you just meet with him, you spend time with him, you set the tone for your day, and you trust him. And you believe, no matter what happens, and you remind yourself that he's going to do what he promised he's going to do. And we're going to see it in the disciples. They were slow, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, just like us. But yet, God completed what he started in them. So Jesus gets up and does the job that these disciples should have been doing. And I'm sure that the look on their faces was one of embarrassment, conviction, shame. They knew Jesus was the Messiah he was a great rabbi. They didn't understand fully what was going to happen the next day for sure, but they understood that Jesus should not be doing this, all right? He should not be doing it. But fortunately, in this, in this time, Simon Peter, the guy who always says what everybody else is thinking but won't say, Peter speaks up and he says it. He says in verse 6, this is an objection. He came to Simon Peter, and Peter said, Lord, do you wash my feet? I mean, for real? Jesus, wash my feet? I don't think so, Jesus. So he ejects to it. He just can't comprehend the humility that's being displayed here, even though he knew Jesus well. He knew his character. He'd been with him for all this time. Yet it's still that default and part of this, their society, the way that they were brought up and what was ingrained in, in their lives by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the rulers was wealth and prosperity and, and status that is spirituality. That is where you're, you're close to God because God is blessing you, right? But you see the blind man or the, the man who's been uh, lame from birth, you know, he, he, he's a sinner, right? This guy, he, he or his father or somebody along the line did something terrible to get him in that situation. That was the mindset of the day. And so this mindset is so hard to break out of, even with Jesus the master teacher, the greatest teacher ever lived, teaching Peter day in and day out. So Peter says, no way, Jesus. I'm not going to receive this act of grace and service. And this is an example for the disciples. This, Jesus is putting on a gospel illustration for them. His self-sacrifice is our salvation. And it's all pointing to the cross, the greatest act of humility and serving ever known to humanity. So Jesus is giving this incredible picture here. And I love what D.A. Carson says. He says, As the disciples cannot yet understand how the one whom they venerate as the Messiah must go to the cross, so they cannot understand the symbol-laden acts that anticipate it. So this act is pointing to the cross. Now, that's not to take away anything from what Jesus is actually doing here, okay? And we'll talk more about that next week, like I said. But Jesus, look at how he responds to Peter in verse 7. He says, he answers Peter, What I am doing, you do not understand now. So you don't understand the symbolism right now, Peter, of this, but afterwards you will understand. They'll understand this gospel illustration, this sort of preview for what's to happen very, very soon. And, of course, Peter still doesn't get it, right? He still doesn't understand, can't break out of his worldview. Verse 8, so Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Ain't going to happen, Jesus. You ain't washing my feet. And look, the thing is, his part was probably in the right place, all right? They were all probably right from the beginning where, like, this should not be happening. Peter speaks up. He, he acknowledges it shouldn't be happening. Jesus comes to him. He's like, no, Jesus, this, this shouldn't be happening. The Messiah should not be washing my feet. I should be washing your feet. But Jesus sets him straight with this statement of rebuke. He says, if I do not wash you, you have no share in me. If I don't wash you, Peter, you don't have a share in me. So speaking to the literal, physical foot washing, basically Jesus tells him, look, Peter, I'm not asking you if I can wash your feet. I'm telling you, I'm going to wash your feet. But Jesus isn't being petty here. He's not being like, you know, Peter, I've got to wash your feet. I'm going to do this. I mean, this is not what's happening here. He's showing Peter this picture, and he's showing this picture of humility that Peter has to humble himself and receive what Jesus is giving. And he's speaking again to the big picture and what must happen? And Peter is going to have to accept what's about to happen on Friday. He must accept this once-for-all sacrifice that even at, at that moment, as they're celebrating the Passover and having this Passover meal, Jesus being the ultimate Passover lamb. Peter, you got to comprehend. you got to believe this. you got to accept it. Jesus must wash you. And I love Peter's response. Peter, impulsive, ready-fire-aim kind of guy, you know, one extreme to the next. He jumps to the totally opposite. Okay, if, if, I need a, if, I, if this is what it takes, Jesus, to have a share in you, to be one of your people, Lord, don't just stop at my feet. Like, give me a bath. Look, he says, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. He's saying, Jesus, I love you. If submitting to washing my feet means that I'm one of yours, I'm one of your group, Don't stop, Jesus. Wash all of me. And Peter was such a man of passion. He wanted what Jesus was offering. He was all in, dot, 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 at the moment, right? He was all in at the moment. We know what happens next in the story very soon with Peter. But let's relate to Peter for a second here. Jesus Wash me, just totally wash me, Jesus. Like, I'm yours, I'm yours. You're my Lord, you're my Savior. I'm all in. Sorry about that. Woke up your baby. It's easy to be bold and courageous for Jesus in a safe environment, right? When you got the other disciples around, they're all on board. Peter gets passionate, he gets emotional, he's getting stirred, he sees Jesus on his knees, washing feet, and he gets all called up in the moment, makes these big, bold statements, and this impulsive, loud, boastful guy, just really, he lacked humility to see what he was capable of. I'll never, ever deny you, Jesus. Everybody else, they can, but not me so full of pride, yet we're the same way as well, right? We're the same way as well. One day I walked into this room really early on a Sunday morning before anything had been set up. I was walking through and I was like, wow, it feels kind of weird in here. All right, What's going on? Like, is it hot? Is it cold? What, what's going on? I went back to the thermostats back in the corner. We have two units. Look at them. One is blowing hot air, and the other is blowing cold air, right? Real efficient use of your money, right? All right, so we we got this conflict happening here. Hot, cold, hot, cold. Maybe a little thunderstorm break out in a minute, right? And and so so what's up with that? We know that doesn't make sense, but yet we're guilty of the same thing, right? Jesus, count me in. I'm all in. Never mind. I'm with this group this weekend, so... And they're not so much into Jesus, so maybe I'll just play it cool. I'm not denying Jesus. I'm just not going to be clearly outspoken for him. Hold on. Let me drop my french fries so I can say a prayer on the way down for my meal, right? Thank you, Jesus, for this food. Amen. Hey, you, know, you didn't see that. That was very sneaky, wasn't it? We deny Jesus, like Peter, because the old self can just emerge, and the words and actions we thought we had conquered are exposed by our fear and our faithlessness, fear, and faithlessness, just melt us down. I remember as a kid going to a, a summer camp in North Carolina, and on the last night, like a lot of camps, they built a big bonfire, and you know we're back here in our seat, four or five hundred students. If you want to be sold out for Christ, you just come up here and throw your stick in the fire. And the first year, like my seventh grade year, whatever, you know, man, I'm like, Jesus, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm sold out for you. I'm on fire for you, Jesus. Throw it in the fire. Go back to my seat. I go home. A week later, just back to old habits, old ways of living, as simple as you can be in seventh grade, right, which obviously can be bad. We know in our culture for sure. But for me, it was pretty minor things. I shouldn't be watching that. shouldn't be listening to that. shouldn't be talking that way. should be bold for Jesus Next year, show up at camp, same spiel, all right, you know. It's like, do I do this, Jesus? Do I do I do I make a commitment to you when I failed so bad last year? Can you can you relate to that at some level? What's wrong with me? Jesus, why can't I follow you like I should? I remember spending so much time in Romans chapter seven as a younger man where Paul talks about the things I want to do, I don't do, the things I don't want to do, these are the things I do. It's like frustration, like I've got this divided heart, hot and cold, hot and cold. But when I came to a greater understanding of the gospel, it led me to Romans chapter 8. There was a continuous flow that Paul was writing there That unfortunately, sometimes we have these chapter breaks that aren't in the originals. Chapter 8, verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. That's the gospel. That we're going to fail. We're going to have moments where we say, Jesus, wash me totally over. And then we turn around and we walk away. And we do totally the opposite. It's going to have those moments. But there's this gritty perseverance in the heart of God's people. People who are are Jesus's. You know that Jesus chose you as his own. And he's going to be with you to the end. And you just have this gritty perseverance in your heart that you're going to follow. Look at verse 10. Jesus said to him, to Peter, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. Let me break that down for a second. Peter doesn't need cleansed all over. Again, this gospel picture. Peter is saved. He's a believer. He's put his faith in Jesus. All that he can at this point, not before the cross, the atonement has not happened yet for his sins, but he he's puts his faith in Jesus Christ. He's looking to Jesus as the Messiah. He's saved far from perfect, but he's saved. And Jesus isn't finished with him. And so for those who are the kids of God, his family, his children, he says, you're clean. You don't need this bath. You're you're clean. But he says, not every one of you, he says, verse 10, he says, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. And that's what he said, not all of you are clean you got Judas over there. He's right here, the same church service, singing the same songs, even collecting the offering. He appears to be all in, according to all the other disciples' opinions. But he's not. He's not saved. He's not a believer. He's not trusting Jesus. He's not clean. He needs cleaned all over. He won't be cleaned all over. True followers of Jesus have been bathed in the righteousness of Christ. No condemnation. But he says... Sins that are committed after salvation soil our feet. Look what he says. The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. And this is pointing to just the need for this humility that Peter needed so desperately. This humility and this just gritty perseverance that knows that when we sin, when we fail, we get up and we keep going. We don't quit. We don't give up. Because we made that commitment and threw that stick in the fire. We don't say... I'm just quitting. I, can't, I didn't do it last year, and I ain't going to be able to do it again this year, so I'm just, I'm just quitting. You persevere, and through that perseverance is just this real acknowledgement of what's in your heart. Just, It's amazing when we cry out for grace and we admit things to God that he already knows, the amazing things that happen in our heart and our life. But as long as we're holding on to that pride and we say, I'm not as bad as she is, you know, I'm not doing what he's doing, not that bad. As long as you live there, if that's your zip code, you're never going to understand the grace of God and why Jesus came to the cross. You're going to have a partial understanding, but you're never fully going to embrace it because you don't get it that you need a Savior. You need a Savior. And nothing you do makes you measure up to God's standard. That resentment, sinful. That bitterness, sinful, that anger, that lust, that dishonesty, that jealousy, that pride. Those things that live and take root in your heart have to be confessed to God, to have the fellowship that you need so that you can live like Jesus. Say, Father, what are you doing? Because I want to be about what you're doing today. And I know I'm not going to nail it perfectly every time, but if I want to live for your will, just like Jesus, in the footsteps of Jesus, I need to keep this clean pure relationship that's going to confess sins acknowledge and say God I I want to live for your glory and your honor but as long as we say you know got to hold on to that where I just can't defeat that and so I'm not even going to try anymore Satan has you where he wants you he has you defeated and eventually if you carry on down that road you're going to question your salvation you will You'll begin to question because you're so disconnected from your father because you're choosing to be rebellious. And you'll begin to question, wow, why do I not feel more conviction over that than I should? I should feel that. And so the application today is very simple. Get to know Jesus. The more we get to know Jesus, the more we want to change. The more we get to know Jesus... The more that we want to change. We have those desires. And then the heart level, humility, is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. Humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. That's why we must preach the gospel, set the tone every day, and live out the gospel, preaching it to ourselves. And then the hands application is very simple. Just Let the Holy Spirit examine your heart. Confess those sins. Ask the Holy Spirit, reveal to me my sin. Some of you are scared to do that because you don't want the change that might happen as a result of that. Satan whispers, your life is going to be really, really tough. You'll never, ever make it. You just won't be able to pull this off. Nobody will like you anymore. Satan will begin to whisper those things in your ear telling you not to confess your sin, not to own your sin. We just say, God, take control. Next week we'll finish this section where Jesus explains and sets an example for us for washing. But I pray that just, just your heart today will be more in tune with him, not a, an emotional reaction that says, I'll be, Recommit my life today to Jesus. You know, how many times have we done that over and over again? What you need to do is recommit that you're going to get up and start a fresh and new every day to be in God's word. Get to know Jesus more and more. And as a result of that, the change. Who can rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Jesus can and he does, right? Today on the ballot in your, um, your packet you got at the door, there's a, a little discipleship section, and, and I, mean, I mean, just before you start looking at it, just hear me out for a second, okay? Even if you're not a member, we'd love for you to fill out that section. Don't put your name on it, but fill out that section. Here's why. The things that value that we value the most at Grace that you hear about all the time, spending time with God daily, doesn't have to be mornings, but I do think it sets the tone, being intentional in family discipleship, being Feeling confident to share your faith with others, and then just committed to living the life that God's called you to live day in and day out. Those are the matrix that we look at more than, we don't count on Sunday morning to know how many people are here, all right? I know that's, for some of you, that seems incredible because most churches, it's all based on numbers and buildings, all right? We don't do that. We want you to be in community. We want you to be in K group. That's the number that I care about. How many of you guys are in a K group on Wednesday or Sunday? where you're in a community where you're truly, truly discussing the truth, having people you can partner up with and fight club to do to life together with and just grow in your relationship with him. And so I, I hope that you'll fill that out. And we're going to, after the, a song, we're going to have just a very short business meeting. And, and during that time, if you're a member, you can vote on the top areas. But I want everybody, all adults in here, to fill out that bottom section. And you can just, even if you don't stay for the business meeting, which I promise you, unless you have a bunch of questions, will only last about 10 minutes. So it would be good for you to stay. But you can just drop that off with one of our deacons or at the welcome area on your way out. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. It anchors us to Jesus Christ. God, I thank you that our faith is so much more than a worldview or just a way or a philosophy of thanking or something good to live by, but we're connected to a person, Jesus Christ. And it's his name that we pray in his name that we rest our hopes and our dreams and our life and our aspirations. In Jesus name we pray.